Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Park Hill Church. Just met someone at the coffee table outside. It's our second week. Uh, welcome, all of you. My name's Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I have the privilege of leading this church. And uh, we are continuing through the book of Revelation as a church. So today we come to chapter 13. So you're going to need your Bibles. Raise your hand if you don't have one. We will get you one. We'll hand you a paper Bible that you can keep if you don't have one. So raise your hand high. Um, so Revelation 13 is, okay, it's a little wild, a lot of confusion around it today, but the first readers of Revelation 13 would have gotten the message immediately. For them, this chapter would explain why they were feeling so much pressure to compromise their allegiance to Jesus. So Jesus, he comes to us in the beginning of Revelation as a true emperor and true God. Caesar's not Lord, you are not your own lords. Jesus is saying, I am the true emperor. And, and yet the church is feeling pressure to compromise that loyalty. And so it's not just a first century thing. We feel this. We feel this pressure to compromise allegiance to Jesus right here in 21st century San Diego. So in this chapter, we're going to see like bizarre stuff. To, to us, at least, like dragons and, and leopard sea monsters. I didn't know leopards lived in the sea, but apparently this one does, and it's really big. And earth beasts, and then the number, the dreaded number 666. This is the chapter that comes from. Um, so through all of this, you guys, here's the driving, driving question behind the chapter. Keep this in mind. This is the question. Who will you worship? To be a human is to be a worshiper. Human beings can't be divided into worshipers and non-worshipers. Everyone is worshiping. The question is who or what will you serve and worship? You, you can't help but engage in worship as a human being. That's where the text is taking us, and that's the question. So let's get into it. I'm gonna invite Ashley Bergman to come up and read all of Revelation 13. Give it up for Ashley. So follow along. Revelation 13, uh, one through 18. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. 
Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given great power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image would speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. Is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ashley. Let's pray. First of all, you guys all clear on what that all means. That's good. We're good. We're done. That was perfect. I feel, I feel spoken to, you know. So let's pray. Let, the Holy Spirit who inspired this text is present now. The Holy Spirit is here, you guys. Let's come aware to him. Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, The same God that hovered over the chaos of creation and then ushered his people Israel all the way through to Christ. That same spirit who breathed through human authors to give us beautiful literature that's more than literature. It's holy scripture from your heart. That same spirit is here. Jesus, you're here. Thank you for being with us. Show us what you mean. Show us what you mean for our lives and for the lives of those we love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Revelation 13, I think it's one of the easiest texts to understand for the first readers. So for the first readers, they would have known immediately these things would have triggered all kinds of lights on their dashboard. So here we are, 1900 years and four continents removed from the first readers, like what in the world, right? Um, normal response. So here's the basic plot of Revelation 13. Revelation 13, you have slide six. It's a parable about, uh, there you go, nope, wait. Yeah, there it is. Revelation 13 is a parable about pressure. The church was and is under pressure from forces depicted as a dragon, a sea beast, an earth beast, a kind of unholy counterfeit trinity. The arch nemesis of the trinity, God. And the goal of this unholy trinity is to pressure God's people to compromise their allegiance to the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the plot. And this plot replays over and over <laughs> through every culture and continent and context of all time. Uh, we're under the pressure today, even though it looks different than ancient Rome. Here in America, we aren't killed or even significantly persecuted for the gospel, are we? Compared to many other cultures. So because of that, it's easy for us to ignore Satan 
It's easy for us to miss the subtlety of the unholy trinity today, but it's very real and it's pressure. Tanika shared last week from Revelation 12, which was all about this dragon, that Revelation 12 verse 9 names this dragon as the devil or Satan. Both, both words are in Revelation 12. The dragon is the devil or Satan, the old serpent of old. So we know the dragon represents Satan. Now in chapter 13, we discover the dragon has agents, two agents in the world, this sea monster and this earth monster, the sea beast and earth beast. So um, the dragon is puppeteering and manipulating and speaking through these beasts and working through them. And these two beasts touch us. They pressure us. And they pressure the church everywhere to do everything they can with whatever is at their disposal to get the church to swap allegiance from the lamb to whatever else which belongs to the dragon. And so you can sum them up like this. The dragon is Satan, and the sea beast is satanic political power. And that's the first half of the chapter. Think, think meta. Think like smoke-filled rooms and high-rises and political maneuvering at the high level. And, and then the earth beast is satanic religious power. That's like earth beast, ground level, like the stuff that touches us, the stuff that gets into our news feeds, and the stuff that gets into our hearts from the people we know and the ideologies we all kind of fight about. So these are all a, an unholy trinity, Hell, literally hell-bent on getting lamb people f- away from worshiping the lamb. Understand. So, so Christians, this is for you. This is written to Christians. Not just, hey, non-Christians, you got to worry about this unholy trinity. No, it's specifically a warning for Christians. So again, the first readers would have felt this. And so the question for us is, how do we know this is what's going on here? That, that there's political and religious powers that are being puppeted by the dragon. How do we know this? Before I answer that, I want to say right away, I'm not saying, and Revelation is not saying, that all political powers are satanic, okay? Of course, it's not saying that all religious powers are satanic. It's not even saying power is bad, necessarily. Power is just a synonym for influence. You all have power, and, and Jesus teaches us that it's good to use our power to serve others rather than protect ourselves or our own privilege and, and control people with our influence. Instead, we serve people. Jesus taught that power is a good thing. It's actually neutral, and it's good to be used to serve, not self-preserve. So all that said, when, what Revelation is getting at is, so in their pursuit for influence, political powers have a tendency to become vulnerable to the dragon's gift of power, right? Human governments and empires and corporations have this, they have this drive to always want to control more and then and the, and the dragon will gladly oblige. And, 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 and then the, the earth beast is like, in the pursuit of cultural relevance, religious powers on the ground become vulnerable to the dragon's offer of power. Oh, you want to, you want to be more acceptable in culture, the dragon will gladly oblige and help you fill in your blanks the way you want them to be filled in. And so the question remains, how do we know this? And even bigger, how do we fight it? How do we resist it? So remember, all, let's, let's get into this. All the imagery of Revelation 
double-click hyperlinks back to some other part of the Bible. So uh, in the book of Job, we find two beasts. In one of the oldest books of the Bible, we find two beasts, big beasts. There's Leviathan, the sea beast, and Behemoth, the earth beast. So this is one of the oldest texts known to man, and the oldest, one of the oldest books known to the writers of the Old Testament. And so they knew about the sea beast and the earth beast, just a general idea. And, and we meet beasts through the Old Testament, specifically the sea beast. The sea beast regularly represents chaos and evil forces trying to unravel God's good creation. So God builds, sea beast deconstructs. The sea beast, you could say, is, is the god of deconstruction. You could say that. So, so, and, and they also represent evil empires who oppress God's people. So Daniel picks up on this in the book of Daniel. He has a dream about four massive beasts coming up from the sea. Tell me if you recognize these from the text Ashley just read in Revelation. There's some similar words. Daniel, way before Revelation, he writes, In my vision at night I looked, four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea, We'll see the words in a moment. You guys, this is the same language John uses in Revelation 13. Came up out of the sea, and Daniel goes on to describe they're like a lion, a bear, and a leopard. Daniel describes way before Revelation, there's one, there's one that's a lion, and one that's a leopard, and one that's a bear, and there's a fourth beast. He's like, I don't, he can't describe it. He's like, it's just big and scary. That's what he says. He actually, and its teeth mash things. That's what he says. Um, and as the dream Daniel has, way before Revelation, he has this dream, it's clear the beasts represent human governments, human empires. And each one is hell-bent on rejecting the God on the throne and trying to operate independently of the true God. And now Revelation, John is describing this sea beast, and he's using Daniel's imagery, and John's sort of taking all four Daniel beasts and then rolling them into one composite beast. Same exact descriptions. Look at this slide. Here's Daniel, the first sea beast, like a lion, second like a bear, leopard, 10 horns even, and Revelation repeats it, turns it around, rolls it all into one, and says there's one sea beast with 10 horns, looks like a leopard, has feet like a bear, mouth like a lion. So, so it's very clear that, that John is recapping Daniel and saying, yes, human governments have a tendency to be hell-bent against the government of God in the world. They just all do. They have this tendency. So, so what's going on here? How does this touch us? Well, John uses this four-beast imagery from Daniel, rolls it all in one to say this. Look at slide 11 here. The sea beast is any human kingdom or dominant ideology in any era that leaves the living God out of the center of human life. In Old Testament times, the beast was manifested in Egypt, Assyria and Babylon. In John's day, the beast was Rome. After Rome, the sea beast has reincarnated empire after empire, wherever human empires claim to deliver what can only be delivered by the slain lamb. So you want justice, you want whole person prosperity, you want, you want economic prosperity, equality, flourishing, ref you want safety, you want refuge, communal belonging and family, you guys, all of this. My friends, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ invites the citizens of heaven on earth to recognize all idolatrous ideologies for what they are. 
their claims to solve problems and save humans in ways that only the lamb can. You can sniff these out if you're awake. If you're filled with the Spirit and following Jesus, living in community, worshiping with the saints, reading the scriptures, you can discern a spiritual sense for these things as they work through society. So when we think of all this in our American context, you guys think of America as a system. It's wonderful that America set out to be this place of refuge, right? Opportunity, land of opportunity. You know, I think of an American tale, five old, you know? You know, there's no cats in America. What, what, what ends up happening? There's plenty of cats in America, um, plenty. And, and, and so, but, but there are things about America that should be celebrated. Place of refuge and opportunity for millions upon millions of immigrants. Absolutely, celebrate that in its proper place. At the same time, grieve, lament our history of enslaving Africans, an estimated 10 million, as well as the systematic removal of native peoples. Both of those tragedies have ongoing effects still rippling through communities today. Lament this. Be honest about it. If this feels critical to you, then Revelation 13 is a word from God for you. The people of the Lamb should be able to freely celebrate the good and lovingly critique and work against the bad of whatever temporary empire we happen to live in. This is a huge point of Revelation 13. It's this, when this critique, when honest critique of the evils of your empire, if you can't critique it honestly, then chances are there's some misplaced worship that's taken hold of the church. So let's not let our culture seduce us into forgetting that the only true rest for the tired, poor, huddled masses is the Prince of Peace himself and the kingdom he is bringing. And the only way to lasting prosperity, true flourishing and freedom, Americans big on freedom, the only way to true freedom as defined by Jesus, not just personal autonomy to do whatever I want, but freedom to flourish the way God desires for me. The only way to that is through submitting to the lamb who gave up his riches to become poor and to become crucified by his state. And that lamb calls all of his people to accept the same cultural crucifixion. And then he empowers us to overcome that crucifixion through his same resurrection power. You guys, this is hope and it's real. Revelation 13 shows us what happens when God's people forget this. This is a story. Revelation 13 is a parable of how the beast becomes beastly when it blasphemes the lamb and God's people listen and misplace their worship. Human governments don't always, they don't always try to be beastly. You think of Russia today, it didn't start out this way. Putin's ideas weren't, in the, they weren't the beginning of the Russian story. Governments don't start out to become beastly. Uh, human ideas don't always set out to become devastating to humans. Governments and ideas, they set out to influence for good, right? And in the process, <laughs> when they start losing control, they, 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 
they capitulate, they, they counter, and they, they turn beastly in order to hold on to influence, which is a synonym for power. And the result is, here's the result, you guys. Your, your Instagram algorithm is the result. You feel the pull. You feel the gravitational pull of ideology today on both the left and the right. There are things to celebrate that you hear coming from both left and right. There's things to celebrate. They all start with good desires and decent ideas. Like, who doesn't like the just idea of equality? Who says, no, we think it's ultimately just that people are treated unfairly. Like, no one would just say that. They would have a justification for why they disagree with your version of equality. Or justice or prosperity, or, or again, personal freedoms. These are all good things. But listen, when those good things become the ultimate things, we start to treat them like gods by putting our faith in them or pledging allegiance to them, and the result is disaster or dehumanization of other people. This is actually how theologians define idolatry. It's when we make that move of taking a good thing and making it the ultimate. It's, it's, it's now a theological idol. So why does all this happen? John's answer, the dragon. The dragon's behind it all, you guys. The dragon is a person. The dragon is not a metaphor for a general sense of unrest. The dragon is a actual spiritual being named Satan who is an angelic, unseen creation of God. And he is hell-bent on using all the beasts he can to get all of the Lamb's people to lessen their allegiance to the Lamb. And one of his best tricks is to get you to think he's just a meme. To get you to think Satan is just a metaphor. He is a spiritual power, a personal power that acts actively against the way of the person Father, Son, and Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. And, and, and it comes to us as this ideological battle for your loves and your anxieties and your worship. And it's very specifically the word of the Satan. His name's not Satan, that's a title. That's why the word the is in front of Satan in the Hebrew every time. He's the Satan. Uh, we, don't have, we actually don't have his name. We don't have his name in, in the scriptures. I love that because it's like, it's like kind of like um, Voldemort. It's like he who shall not be named, you know? It's intentional. They don't, they don't name him. The biblical, they, Lucifer's just another metaphor for angel of light. That's not his name. So the Bible leaves him shamed and nameless. His title is Satan. So, so John, or rather Jesus through John, he wants, he wants you to realize that in Babylon and Rome and British colonialism, and, and, and listen, on November 8th, in, in America's midterm election cycle, all of these powers are being puppeted in some way by the dragon. And they operate like a dragon, and they get their words, and, and they spin the way the dragon spins. And so at this point, you might be thinking, maybe if you're a Bible person, you know the Bible pretty well, you're like, Evan, wait, 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 how does all this square with what Paul says in Romans 13 about how good governments are? Like, submit to governing authorities. They're even, you know, you know, Revelation 13 and Romans 13, these two 13s. How does Revelation 13 and Romans 13 harmonize? It seems like you're pitting them against each other. 
Yeah, in Romans 13, Paul calls human governments servants of God, even ministers. Look at this verse. For, for the one in authority, speaking of Caesar, he's speaking of Caesar, a really bad guy, Nero, actually. For the one in authority is God's servant, minister, for your good. Wait, is that right? Absolutely. So wait, is John, John John's calling him a monster, and Paul's calling him a servant of God. Which is it? This is a contradiction. Actually, not at all. This is perfect harmony. Revelation 13 and Romans 13 are a harmony because that verse in Romans 13 is about the God-ordained function of human governments in general. Followers of the Lamb, are you a follower of the Lamb? So followers of the Lamb should obey human governments, even Nero, even dictators, even communistic, you just name it. Followers of the Lamb should obey and pray for and honor human governments until they require us to sin or demand our worship and allegiance, if they demand our pledge of allegiance, which is precisely when those governments shift to beast mode, like literally they shift to beastly. This is, this is when human governments, this is when human governments move beyond their God-ordained function and become dragon-driven. And even then, you guys, we should be good citizens of, of, of dragon cultures. We should be good citizens of satanic governments. Think of Daniel. If you've, how many of you have read the book of Daniel? You guys, the book of Daniel is a faithful God guy who worships God faithfully three times a day for 75 years in the middle of Babylon under the rule of some of the worst, murderous, satanically infused dictators in human history, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he even provides wisdom, godly wisdom, in the courts, in the high courts of politics. Serving the beast, in a sense, without worshiping him. It can be done. One thing all beastly empires and ideologies have in common is how they claim to bring into the world what only Jesus can. Peace. Rome, Rome said, we deliver the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Of course, it's through our sword, but we bring the peace everywhere we go through our sword. Peace and justice, equality, freedom. In this sense, you guys, beastly ideologies are a counterfeit Christ. This is specifically where Revelation 13 goes. Are you ready for this? In verse three, John sees one of the heads of the beasts suffer a mortal wound and then apparently rise from the dead, counterfeiting Christ's death and resurrection. Look at this, Revelation 13, three. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. What's going on? This sounds like Jesus. You guys, this is clear plagiarism. The beast is plagiarizing Jesus right here. Counterfeit Christ, claiming what only Christ can claim. This is the same language back in Revelation 5 where it says, I saw a lamb standing looking slain. Now the beast is like, oh, let me try. And the beast mimics the lamb. You guys, antichrist systems, ideologies, empires, they're always ripping Jesus off. In Revelation 13 verse seven, the beast rips Jesus off again. He says, it was given power. The beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over who? 
Every tribe, people, language, nation, and then everybody worships. You guys, that language, straight plagiarism from Revelation 5, 9, where the lamb purchases men and women from every tribe, people, language, nation. And then back in chapter five, the whole universe worships the lamb. Now here in Revelation, people worshiping the dragon, they also worship the beast, and all inhabitants of the universe, the earth, will worship this beast. You guys, clearly this beast has a severe Messiah complex. Again, what is this beast? This beast is a human system, political or ideological, empowered by Satan, by the way, claiming to be what only Jesus can be, and do what only the true wounded healer can do. Only Jesus can fulfill every human longing for safety, lasting prosperity, family belonging, and ultimate healing. Do you follow the true lamb? Do you follow the true emperor, the true president, the true governor of all governments? And you may say yes, well then where's your heart? What consumes your heart? What dictates your fears? What do you most argue about with people? According to verse five through seven, these beastly systems will be everywhere around you and they're everywhere around God's people from the time Jesus first came till his second coming. That's why, did you notice when, when uh, Ashley read, uh, she read that the beast is harassing the church for 42 months. Anybody remember what 42 months means from chapter 11? It's a symbol, all the numbers in Revelation are symbols. It's a symbol for the whole time between Jesus' first coming and his second. This is the church. This beast harasses you and every other Christian in every culture. That's what he's saying. So what about this second beast, like not the meta beast, the government one, but like the one that touches our lives on our iPhones and stuff. What about this second one? Same thing, it mimics the Messiah but it does this at your ground level. So think local influence. John says this, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it talked like a dragon. So this earth, earth beast, it's mimicking the lamb. It even has two little horns. Look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm a lamb, you know? Look at me, I'm, I'm good for you. I'm good for the church. I'm good for your spirituality. I'm good for your best practices. I'm good for your well-being. I'm, I'm like Jesus. And the earth beast, it uses its power to deceive people through false spiritual signs. Look at the spiritual signs, verse 13. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in view of all the people. You guys, this, this, is, this is what Elijah did. Remember, this is what Elijah did in the Old Testament to show that God was protecting him. And it's what the two witnesses did in Revelation just two chapters ago. So, so this beast is like, oh yeah, hey, I'm good too. I'm, I'm in, I'm with you. This is, pluralism works here. So why does the earth beast perform these signs, these spiritual knockoffs? Why does he do this? The key verse is verse 12. Look at verse 12. This beast exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Did you see that? You guys, this little assistant beast is trying everything it can to make the big beast look like Jesus, the wounded healer. Trying to convince Christians of really false teaching. 
Everything it can do, it's throwing at the church. So, so here's a translation, are you ready? Here's a translation. This beastly system, it wants you to think that Jesus votes Republican, but he doesn't. This system wants you to think Jesus votes Democrat, but he doesn't. The system wants you to think Jesus agrees with you about money, but he probably doesn't. The system wants you to think Jesus agrees with you about sex, but he probably doesn't. We should just assume he probably doesn't. And, and as the good and loving king of God's kingdom, Jesus doesn't vote for any of those things, he votes for himself. He votes for himself alone, and everyone who worships Jesus will vote with Jesus. When we hear a teaching from Jesus, we say amen and put our whole bodies under submission, believing that his desire for us is better than our own. Whether it's political or personal, how to spend money, who we sleep with, what we do with our bodies and our minds and our time, followers of Jesus vote with Jesus in every area of life. And the unholy trinity, Satan and the beast, want you to forget that. So, so Revelation 13 ends on that note. Yes, that is true about Jesus, but there are personal, powerful forces actively working to get you to sleep. And some Sundays, I know some Sundays end with like amazing you know, emotional calls to just become more like Jesus or whatever. And that's good, just broad. But this one is a very specific, almost like a canary in a coal mine kind of sermon. Don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Do you remember uh, that scene from The Wizard of Oz, like the very end? <laughs> At uh, the end where Toto, I forgot who it was. I'm like, oh, it was probably the scarecrow. No, it was the dog that pulled back the curtain, you know, on, on, the, on the wizard guy. Come on, anyone? Hence, anybody not? Raise your hand if you have not, proudly have not seen The Wizard of Oz. Amazing. Proud of you. So, at the end, Toto the dog pulls back the curtain, right? Revelation is a pulling back of the curtain. Toto the dog pulls back the curtain on the all-powerful wizard guy. And, and they all see clearly what's going on, Right? There's, there's a man behind the curtain, is what they find. And he's like pulling levers and pushing the button for pyrotechnics. And he's talking into a microphone to make his voice shift a little bit. And you guys, this is actually what's happening in Oz all the time. All through Oz, they talk about this wizard. All through Oz, they talk about this Emerald City and this yellow brick road that takes you to the, and it's, so there's this whole ideological empire built around these levers. You understand? These levers and this curtain. Isn't that crazy? And so, and so the Empire of Oz and the Emerald City, where all the power comes from, behind all the fear and respect and the wisdom and the worship of the wizard and, and all the systems, it's actually a man behind the curtain the whole time. Toto pulls, pulls back the curtain, and do you remember what the man says? So the curtain opens up. Do you remember <laughs> what the man says? Famous line, pay no, <laughs> okay, good. All right, that was fun. Pay no attention, pay no, he's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, he says, right? And it's this funny like meta moment uh, where 
where they're going through a shift. They're going through a shift from focusing on the pyrotechnics and the, the, the fake giant head of the wizard and the loud voice. And, and they go through a, like a cognitive shift where they look at the man talking through the thing and you see their heads go back and forth. Like, which one is real? John is, John is realizing we are always in that, that liminal moment. You are always wondering which one is real. You are always, always doubting your senses. You are always wondering, is Satan really behind that? Am I, is that my flesh? Is that uh, the world? Is the world even bad? Was I brought up to believe uh, the wrong thing? Was I, were my parents too repressive? Uh, did I get taught a too fundamentalist version of sexuality? Or, or did I get... Did I, get handed a progressive version, and what do those words even mean? And, and, and if I move forward with my newfound convictions, will I be sinning against the old God on the throne? Like what? And, and you, so, so, so Jesus, through Paul, knows that you're there. Do you know this? He knows that you're there. And, and, and right now you're hearing, you're seeing the curtain pull back, you're seeing the man, and you're hearing mixed messages all around you. My friends, the unholy trinity is doing everything it can to make sure we pay no attention to what's actually happening around us today. Remember, Revelation isn't just future, it's primarily about living in the Lamb's kingdom today. Remember the driving theme of this series, things are more than they seem. Can we all say that together? Things are more than they seem. Jesus is speaking right now through his servant John on Patmos, to the church of all time. And now Jesus' voice is landing in San Diego on his servants in Point Loma right now. And he's saying here, you guys, beastly ideologists, they're, they're pressuring you everywhere. They're pressuring you from right, left, from your phone, from everywhere. Your fights, your relational bouts, and they're constantly telling you what you should do with your money, body, influence. Their power comes from Satan, and their ultimate goal is to steal your worship, which rightfully belongs to the true emperor and God. Jesus knew this. Jesus was killed by Rome and Israel simultaneously. By the Roman state, the government power, the beast, and the religious chaplains. Of, of false spirituality, performing signs and wonders, but not in God's name. Jesus was pressurized behind both, in all of that. But listen, uh, when, when Satan offered Jesus, bow down to me and I will give you all the kingdoms. Let me ask you this. Did Satan really have the power to give Jesus power? I actually argue yes. He's the dragon after all, right? He's empowering all the governments. Satan absolutely had the power. The problem, number one, is that Satan lies. And, and number two, Jesus knew that lasting power, the la there is true temporary power from Satan. Jesus knew that lasting power and authority could not come through pledging allegiance to Satan or the beast. The eternal kingdom of God can only come through resisting the pressure to compromise faithfulness to Jesus. Even if culture crucifies you, the Father will resurrect you in the new heaven and new earth. Jesus knew that. 
because he had the church, he had uh, his assembly, he had the scriptures, he had the spirit, he had everything God had ever said. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what, that's what Jesus fought back to Satan with. He, Jesus came under intense pressure from the dragon through the beasts. And in the same way, if you follow Jesus, if you wanna follow him, don't expect an easy road. Jesus specifically said it would be the hard one, not the easy one. Expect the same pressure that Jesus received and, and expect his victory. Expect his victory, you guys. So how do we do that? Three quick things and then we'll, we'll fight the enemy by eating and drinking of the lamb's body and blood. Um, how do we... <laughs> How do we stay aware of the beast and Satan? And how do we even begin to think about this? So three ways from Revelation 13. Number one, Revelation 13 calls us to wake up. Wake up. Verse nine, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You guys, this is the same Statement, the same call we hear seven times in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. It's like, whoever has ears, open them. Listen to my voice. There are plenty of voices. Listen to mine. Wake up to what's going on in the world. Wake up to the fact that you are in the middle of a war for your worship. The best example of this I've heard is from Gary Bashirs, uh, the mentor of many of us on staff. He talks about uh, this, the cosmic battle raging all the time. And honestly, I love Star Wars analogies as well, so he's amazing for this. You know how uh, episode four is actually the first one? You know this. Episode four is the first one. And so before episode four, we don't know what happened, but Genesis starts in episode four. We don't know why or how or the backstory behind Satan's fall, but he is here and he's raging. And then when Jesus came, Jesus's cross was the decisive death blow on Satan. However, Satan is still reeling while he's bleeding out. Satan is still reeling from Jesus's cross death blow. And he's more dangerous, he's the bleeding cornered wolf. His number is up, 42 months, right? But right now he's bleeding in a corner and you mess around, you get bit by this rabid, bleeding out, wild beast. And, 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 and so, so the other metaphor that comes in is D-Day in World War II. Normandy Beach. You guys have seen Saving Private Ryan, maybe? That first scene with that awful, horrific battle on Normandy Beach. That victory for the Allies was the death blow on Hitler's head. There was no chance, strategically, that Hitler would win from that point on. However, the most bloody fighting happened for the next 11 months until actual V-Day was declared. This is the church era that we are in. Do not be deceived. Do not sleep. The enemy is wandering, desiring to sabotage pure worship and whole devotion and the blessing, you guys, the blessing. It's not just to follow the rules and to fight Satan randomly. It's that life in the Lamb is flourishing and beautiful and there are powers out there that want you not to believe that.
So wake up. How do you wake up? Engage in social media through Revelation 13 lenses. Be a positive force for godliness online. If you have a tendency to just doom scroll, don't. Like, wake up to the beast's online battle. Like, actually have a doom scroll covenant with yourself and your community. Like, I had to do this three, four years ago. I removed all social media apps and browsers from my smartphone entirely, 100%. Like, I have no browser on my smartphone. It's a dumb phone now. Um, I can access Instagram on my, like, iPad when I want to, but I have to, like, send pictures from my phone to my iPad to upload anything, which is why I hardly ever do. You guys, it's, it's for me, for me, it's worth it. 100,000% worth it. It's hard sometimes. I like want to relapse, but I don't. I can't. Uh, I, I just, my wife and I have this agreement about it. And so I have this, I have this app called Focus Me on my MacBook that, uh, on my computer, that literally gives me 30 minutes a day, Sunday through Wednesday, for all social media domains. Um, and, then, and then Thursday through Saturday is just social media domains are blocked for me. Just, I, I want to live awake, you guys. I wanna live awake. I wanna have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. I wanna respond to his voice all the time, in reality, in real time. Isn't that what you want? Satan is speaking to you through the sea beast of secular ideology mediated through the earth beast of digital technology. So learn to identify the enemy. Wake up. And, and it, like if you, if you consume the news a lot, it's great. If you watch the news, do it through Revelation 13 glasses. And when I say read the news through Revelation glasses, I do not mean <laughs> like look for specific events in the news that are in Revelation. That's not what I mean, okay? Not at all. That's not what Revelation is for. No, this is what I mean. Wake up. We're not living in a neutral universe. Pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Read all culture through Revelation 13 glasses. The right and left work for the same satanic corporation, you guys. And, and guess what? I, I do want to say this. The people of the Lamb do not overcome evil by partnering with the lesser of two evils. The people of the Lamb, in Paul's famous words, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is an option other than lesser of two evils, and it's called good. So first, wake up. Things are more than they seem. And, and number, number two, Revelation 13 calls us to endure patiently and faithfully. Endure patiently and faithfully. Revelation 13.10 says this calls, all of this, this whole crazy parable of beasts and oceans and leopard beasts, is, is a call for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This means watch the movements of your heart and be patient with your heart. What do I mean? I mean, if you're afraid of anything, listen to your fear. Let your fear show you what's really beneath it. Watch where you put your trust when you're afraid. What do you run to when you're afraid? How do you cope with fear? During the last election cycle, 2020, I heard followers of Jesus on both sides saying like, well, if he's elected, the country is finished, you know. Or like, that guy, he's the only hope for the future of this country. Like Christians saying that, that guy, like, whoa. Like, 
Jesus people saying that. Jesus people saying of politicians, he's the only hope, dot, dot, dot. That, those, that's an oxymoron in Christian language, you guys. That sounds like what Caiaphas, the high priest, said to Pilate, the governor, on Good Friday. Pilate, he's like, shall I crucify your king, Jesus? And then Caiaphas says, we have no king but Caesar. Wait a minute, Caiaphas, high priest in the religion of Judaism, Yahweh was always the king for you, and now Caiaphas, the religious leader, falling into the trap of thinking Caesar, a politician, had ultimate authority. Don't give in. Endure patiently and faithfully. The only hope for Israel, for Mexico, for America, for Russia, Ukraine, or any other nation is Jesus. Jesus works, yes, Jesus works with political power, and we should do what we can to raise up and elect leaders that do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before God, all that. But listen, those powers are not our hope. They're just not. Be free from that. Jesus is our hope. So the text calls us to be patient in that. Watch your heart. Listen to what your heart says when you're scared. What makes you scared? Bring it to Jesus. And then finally, Revelation 13 calls us to worship. Wake up, endure patiently and faithfully, and worship. You guys worship the true emperor, the true God. You guys are about to worship in about three minutes up here, and, and we're gonna worship, that's a given. We're gonna surrender to some power. Every human, it's a given, you're gonna worship. Every human is gonna surrender to some power. The question is, which one? What is your power that's higher than you? What is your higher power, <laughs> to use AA language? The power of the dragon or the power of the lamb? And all of this is summed up in that really scary, cryptic, doom kind of number. You know the number at the end. The last word. The last word of Revelation is actually a number. You know what it is? 666. Yeah, you got it. I hear all the little S's. You're all S's. <laughs> and it's very simple. I believe it's a very simple reading of 666. And it has to do with worship. Remember, all the numbers in Revelation have symbolic meaning. They're not weird codes or like futury stats or anything. 666 is a clear symbol. It's a symbol of worship, specifically misplaced worship. I agree with, you know, N.T. Wright, Daryl Johnson, Gary Bashirs, even. That triple six is a symbol for the unholy trinity. I believe John intends us to read this very simply. In the Bible, seven is a big deal, isn't it? In the Bible, seven means fullness, Sabbath, rest, completeness, perfect work. Seven is a big deal in the Bible, which is why Jesus says, hey, forgive seven, not just seven, 70 times, seven times, fully, completely forgive. But this number is six, because six is always one less. Six is always gonna be one less, forever. If seven is the number of fullness, six is always one under. It's always missing. It's always incomplete. 
John refers to the seven spirits of God to say the Holy Spirit in his fullness is yours. But right here, six, the nature of the beast. Six, six, oh, he's very, very incomplete. Oh, six, 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 he's always, always gonna fail. Never gonna fulfill. The best human systems can do is six. The best your money will do for you, if you trust it, is six. If it's not the way of the lamb and his teachings, the best it'll ever do is not fulfill your soul. The counterfeit trinity wants to be God, but never actually makes it. Won't give you lasting belonging, no matter how much you doom scroll. Won't heal your heart. It won't bring the justice you long for in your community. We can see glimpses of it. So the huge question behind Revelation 13 is this. Why worship what will never measure up? We're gonna worship the one who is fullness right now and who alone is worthy. We're gonna worship the slain lamb with our whole bodies. And for some of us, that means singing louder than we ever have before. For others of us, it means, wow, I'm gonna bring that, that rogue piece of my life into alignment. I'm gonna bring it, the unhidden, I'm gonna bring the hiddenness into the light today, the light of God's presence. Maybe that's what it means for you. Whatever your mind, body, heart, and, and no matter the consequences on me, I'm going to worship the lamb. The beast can kill me, and I will rise again. Even, even though the beast faked a resurrection, I got the real one. So no matter what it costs, I'm going to worship the king of kings as worthy of it all. And who, so who's, who's in? Who's, who's ready to worship? Like with that, with that parable in mind, and with the bread and cup coming, who's ready to, to worship and sing as though this is reality because it is? So, so Holy Spirit, would you come right now and, and baptize our song with your presence. Baptize our mouths with truth. Lord, forgive us for aligning and pledging allegiance, even like subtly, even kind of subconsciously, to the narrative of the unholy trinity that wants our soul. Lord, we, we want to give mind, body, soul, whole person. We want to give ourselves to you because you with you is true fullness. You are fullness. You're the only thing that will ever be fullness forever. And you love us. So come, Holy Spirit. Just be still in his presence right now. Just be still. Take a deep breath and know he's good and the lamb is here. And for many of you, he's given you a revelation of how to move forward, how to walk forward in, in his goodness what that looks like. We're gonna sing in a moment, but let's first be still.